before we look into the word, once again let us look up. Let us fix our eyes, our minds, above all our hearts on Christ Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. Through one supernatural move which you allowed, by something that is unseen to the naked eye, you have locked up the world in their homes. But for us, you not only locked us out of the world, you have locked us unto yourself. So I pray, Father, from the little ones who are sitting before their parents' computers with a notebook and pens, at every level, Lord, you will anoint us. You are the only one who can speak to everyone. So we bring our little ones, our young men and girls, the older generation, everybody, we come to you by faith. And we pray, Father, teach us, speak to us, equip us, that we will emerge out of this lockdown stronger, even more zealous to serve you till the end, Lord. Our lives should not change in freedom or lockdown. We'll praise you, we'll pray unto you, and we'll preach about you. Let our lives be about you, you Lord. We lift you in every area, Father. Help us. And now, Lord, help, help me to lift you up so that you can draw all those who are watching and listening to yourself. Let Christ be lifted up, Lord, in our midst. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Like I said, uh, day seven, but a few more than that probably, I don't know. We lost count of days. One thing God has done through the epidemic, he has exposed the incredible fragility of human life. Like that one little virus, practically unseen to the human eye, has exposed how hollow are all the achievements, advancements, science and technology, medicine, telemedicine, whatever you want to call it. All of our boastings have just fallen to the ground, right? And it's also exposing to all the children of God our spiritual preparedness. Like uh, right now, the three nations, China, Italy and U.S. And U.S. has like been hit and New York has been hit. They're all saying that New York was not prepared for something like this. So this virus is also exposing to us how prepared are we spiritually? Are we really spiritual? I'm prepared for the end. Well, this is definitely a harbinger, a sign of the end. The coming of Jesus Christ is so close. So we'll go back to God's book, His word, where He has spoken His reality. It should be our reality. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. Luke 12, 4 and 5. This is the reality that he spoke. 4 and 5. I say to you, my friends, 
do not be afraid of those who kill the body. That's the virus in present context. Okay? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that have no more that they can do. That's where the powers of this life end. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Basically, he's saying, whichever form death comes, remember, he's the one who kills. It's a righteous man who dies peacefully in his sleep, or the wicked man who's hanged in the gallows. Doesn't matter what way your death is. There is only one person who has power over death, who ordains life and death. It is God. So he says, don't worry about how you die, this death in this body. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him. Fear him. So, two narratives in two verses. Fear not, yet fear. Do not fear the virus. Don't fear the pandemic. Don't fear all that's happening on WhatsApp. The forwards you're getting, don't fear them. But there is somebody you need to fear. He has the power over the second death. So from this pulpit all these years, we are trying to address spiritual issues. Okay, Do the practical things like we keep seeing and hearing. Wash your hands. Cover your face. Maintain social distance. And incline your ears. How to escape the second death? The position. There is a portion in the Bible that describes the second death with incredible clarity and details. Not how to escape it, that's the whole Bible, but that second death, the details are given so graphically, beautifully, clearly. It's found in the book of Revelation in chapter 20 and verses 11 to 15. Now this is Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled, and there was found no place for them. Okay, How it fled, we do not know. We know if you read Peter, it's rolled up like a scroll, the elements were burned up in incredible heat, fire, but it fled and it is no more. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay, so the Lord was telling me, and I know there are so many young believers watching, young leaders watching, and every one of you, when the time comes, will be called to be a leader in your own little, little house groups, and to set the foundations of faith. You know, so starting tonight, I'll be going on a series, because the young generation prefers watching and listening. So it will be there on YouTube on foundations on how you make it very, very clear. Like, we'll come back to this, but I want you to read Second Peter chapter 2, 10 and 11. 
second peter chapter 2 10 and 11 oh chapter 1 chapter 1 chapter 1 not 1 chapter 2 uh chapter 1 is peter is final letter just before his death therefore brethren is telling the church be even more diligent to make your call and election sure for if you do these things you will never stumble for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ so he says there are a lot of things you can do as a believer so that you can be absolutely 100% sure i don't have to worry and when i go it's going to be a royal welcome literally a royal welcome so now we are looking at the second death and then we'll go into the process salvation how does one escape the second death it is judgment time verse 11 of revelation 20 everybody is standing before him heaven and earth has fled everybody is standing before him it's a great white throne righteousness the throne of righteousness okay therefore was for a season until grace is shut it is called the throne room of grace now grace is over now it's a time of judgment white throne and i saw the dead small and great standing before god it was irrespective who you were on earth you could have been great you could have been small the level of death is and everybody is standing all the dead have been resurrected and they are all standing before god and the books were opened it's interesting right books are opened not book books are open another book was opened which is the book of life the book really that matters and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books everybody is judged according to what was written in the book so these books is a record of man's activities on earth what he thought what he said and what he did everything is recorded the minute you are born time starts ticking and everything is there i would say if these people are going into the lake of uh, lake of hell or uh, lake of fire what different does it matter what they have done okay degrees of punishment is there it's not the same even fire i'm just symbolically saying fire doesn't come at all the same temperature when daniel's friends were put in it was heated up seven times more okay that will be the perfect punishment and the servants of god who misled his people he will says cut them into pieces and throw them into outer darkness it's not just darkness where it is the darkest they because they led god's people into darkness so remember they are the ones who will be punished the worst okay worst so you have to look at all this thing the bible talks about so that's why books are opened another book was opened and everything is being judged and then verse 13 talks about three holding areas until that day the sea gave up the dead that were in it these are spiritual realities we don't understand it until that day the sea is holding the dead those who died in the sea death itself is a realm death itself is a spirit and a realm that's why god says i have no even though i walk through the valley of shadow of death it's a realm it's a spiritual realm it's a spirit too so there are a lot of people caught there and there are a lot of people caught in hades the underworld like the greek word for underworld or hell okay these three are holding areas until the day of judgment 
And they were judged each one according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Okay. What is cast into the lake of fire? Death and Hades. Sea is not cast into the lake of fire because sea will be burned up in that fire. There will be no sea left. Okay? No sea. You know what fire does to water. Okay? It evaporates. Sea will disappear. How do you know? Revelation 21 verse 1. Revelation 21 verse 7. Oh, sorry. Verse 1. I saw a new earth and a new heaven and a new earth. First heaven and first had passed away also. There was no more sea. sea. So death is gone. Hades is gone. They are thrown into the lake of fire. Death gives up all the people who died there. Stand before God. But death, it's, uh, sorry, sea. Sea itself has evaporated, disappeared. Okay, Only God can do those things. Because scientists will say nothing disappears. But God can make things disappear. Okay. Then you come to verse 15 of 20. You will realize only one thing really, really matters. Ultimately. Papu pass ho gaya ya nahi. Baki sab chhod do. Rank and mark and class we will look later. Okay. The rankers will go and look at the up of the list. The fellow who is struggling will look my name hai ya nahi, my name hai ya nahi in the list. The only thing, one thing finally actually matters. Is my name in the book of life or not? It's the only thing that matters. Okay, in that book. And this is no joke. The most important decision every man, woman, child will ever make in their life now. That's why God keeps on. When the Spirit speaks, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Because you do not know whether tomorrow is promised. You do not know. Don't make plans. You have to always say, if God wills. So if God wills, we'll have two meetings tomorrow, Saturday. If God wills, we'll have three meetings on Sunday morning, afternoon, evening, Hindi, and then night again, English. God wills, because we do not know. Every day you are prepared. Okay? So make sure your name is in that book. Absolutely. And both old covenant saints and new covenant saints knew how serious this was. How this was. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, the archangel Michael will tell, uh, or Gabriel or Michael, I think Mike, uh, this thing, uh, yeah. Uh, Gabriel telling, uh, Daniel, at that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. This is to Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since, was since there was a nation, even to that time. This is what the tribulation, the day of Jacob's trouble. And at that time your people shall be delivered. Who? Everyone who is found written in the book. This is this event is yet to happen, but the names are already written. Okay, because God is the only one who knows the end from the beginning. So about to the Jews also where Paul say a remnant will be saved, and that is connected with that Paul will say all Israel will be saved. Not all Israel, but those whose names are written in the book. So compare scripture with scripture and don't get sentimental and say every Jew. No, quite a lot of them will be in the lake of fire and the deepest part because some of the wickedest and the nicest Jews both have come from that community. Both who are in occult from the times beginning, from the time, from the time they came out of Israel, sorry, Egypt, they have been involved in occult and Kabbalah and Freemasons today. A lot of Jews are there. A lot of them. You read the book of Ezekiel. God will take Ezekiel in the spirit and say, Son of man, come, see what the elders of Israel are. He makes a hole and he looks and he sees all the elders of Israel 
The elders of Israel had started with the Holy Spirit falling upon them, the Holy Spirit that was on Moses. Now they are sitting in the Holy of Holies and is full of reptiles and other gods and they are worshipping and bowing and or doing the occult over there. And this is the seven group which a few, 600 years later, the 70 who will crucify the Son of God. Okay, so please understand, there is a good and the bad among them. And God says, those whose names are written, they alone will be saved. And Jesus told his disciples, when they got very excited, Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, excited about ministry, like this power ministry, everybody gets excited. Okay, when people fall or demons leave and all, he told them, hey, hey, chill, chill, man, chill. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, you know, there are 12 of them who went out to minister. And they're coming back and he's telling them straight in the air, don't get excited. Don't look at the power of the ministry that is because of the anointing that is flowing through you because it's my anointing. Don't get excited by this and think you are saved because one of them will go to hell. Who cast out demons? That was Judas. We rather be rejoiced because your names are written in heaven. That's the only reason we should, Lord, escape the second death. Okay? And if you look, how if you go into the demonic realm, those who fall for demonic worship, those who are deceived by Satan, in Revelation 13 and verse 8, I'm looking... Putting this basis, why salvation is so important. And when you are saved, what God does is your name is written in the book of life. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. This is the Antichrist. Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb. Now the book of life is called the book of life of the Lamb. Slain from the foundation of the world. Okay, so from the beginning. So, if you look at the book, I'm presuming, I'm not God, I don't know. But if you look in the book, like Abel's name could be there and not Cain's. Abel believed, Cain did not. Cain was a murderer. He worshipped the enemy by his actions. So, two brothers come from the same womb. One's name is there, the other isn't there. Okay, I'm presuming, I do not know. But I'm telling you. It's like that, those who worship the enemy. Revelation 17 and verse 8. 17 and verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is and will ascend out of the bottomless pit, go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Meaning, remember those who did not receive the love of truth, God will allow them to go into a delusion. The beast will be able to fool them with all supernatural things. And you know why they get fooled? Because their names are also were not there. That's what Peter is warning us. Make sure, make sure, make sure, make sure, make sure. And what about the church in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23? Remember, talking about worship, we have come to Zion, to the church of the firstborn. The general assembly, the church of the firstborn who are? Don't worry about NRC. This is the RC you should be worried about. This is the one you should be worried about. What is that? Is my name registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all. To the spirits of just men made perfect. And Paul had this great confidence in his workers. Those who labored with him. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3, he had a set of faithful like Jesus had. He also had a faithful workers. And he will say in Philippians 4 and verse 3. Yeah, can I have it? Philippians. 
I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Okay, that's the kind of confidence we should be when we labor in the kingdom of God. Not saying, I am laboring, but I am not very sure, will I make it or not. He was confident about himself. He was confident about his fellow workers. Okay? So please, please, please take this seriously. There is no greater decision, more important decision you can make. And God is giving us this time to set ourselves apart in our homes. Husbands, wives, children, young, old. Search your heart. Spend time with God. Don't be, don't have this Dutch courage. It is a false courage. Our courage should be true. And when we go through these days, we'll understand how you can have that boldness that comes only from faith. Okay? So every believer whose name is written in the book of life too should take it very, very seriously. Do not be casual about your salvation. If that is the greatest decision you can make in your life, you cannot be casual about it. In Romans chapter 11, God uses the illustration from Old Testament and New Testament. Verse 19 onwards, still 23. Romans 11. And 23. You will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Israel was broke. Jesus is the wine. Israel was broken off and we were grafted in. But what happened? Yeah. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off. They started in faith and went into unbelief. And you stand by faith. Be sure you stand by faith. Do not be haughty. Do not be proud. But fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness, both sides of God, two sides of the coin. The goodness of God and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity, who fell away. Those fell, there's going to be a great falling away in the last days. Bible says that you can't fall unless you are standing. They were once standing in faith and they have fallen away from faith. And God was severe with them. But toward you, goodness. Condition, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So don't, don't go on this once saved, always saved binge. Okay? Let God decide all these things. Be very, very careful. Continue in his goodness. Continue in your, in his kindness. Continue in faith. They also, and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. He says, if they come back to faith before they die, for God is able to graft them in. That's why a remnant will be saved from Israel. Okay, so take it, take it very seriously. Stay under the blood. Stay in his mercy, in his goodness. And this is not an isolated reference, either in the Old Testament or the New Testament. In Exodus 32, verse 31 to 33, this is what God tells Moses. Exodus 32. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and made for themselves a God of gold. They have shifted allegiance from the living God to another God. Made with their own hands. God said, you cannot serve two gods. You cannot serve God and mammon. Here they are gone, made a golden calf. Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Okay? So you, your name can be blotted off. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. So they were written when they left. And he blotted them out. That's why 3,000 died that day. 3,000 is a number whose names are blotted out. They have not only died physically, the names are also taken out. 
Okay, so these are things in the Bible. In Psalm 69 and verse 27 and 28, the Bible again says, warns us about this walking in yours. Add iniquity to their iniquity. And let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Okay. If you come to the new covenant, Jesus will warn the church in Sardis in chapter 3, Revelation 3 and verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. So, overcoming is imperative. And if you don't overcome and go into sin and fall away from faith, he says, even if your name was there, I will blot it away. People struggle with these things because they come with a bee in their bonnet, which they got in from a particular Bible college, which will tell that, that there is no way that you can lose your salvation once you have believed. It's like trying, telling that once a child is born, the child can never die. You have to look at scripture, what scripture says, not go by what man, because then people take very casually the salvation and walk with God. So remember in Revelation 20 verse 12, scripture says, what will be opened? Books, and I saw the dead small all standing before God. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Let me give you a few books. Psalm 139 verse 16. Psalm 139 verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. It's something like this, let's say. James, God said, will be born on this day, this month, this year. I'm not even born. But the book is ready. The book is ready. God is also has decided the stuff which I am supposed to do. Okay? My days were already ordained. But I chose another way and went and the books are opened. Uh, you are supposed to do this. 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 But this is what you did. That's why repentance is so important that when you repent and confess and repent, the blood of Jesus cleanses it all out. It's better to have blank pages than to have wrong pages. And no unconfessed sin has ever been forgiven. That's what the Bible says. If you confess, he's faithful. So don't worry, don't get scared. Confess. Use this time as a time of confession. In Psalm 56 and verse 8, your eyes, yeah, no, that was... You, you number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? So there are saints for 2000 years. Nobody has seen them. They have been in this cloth, in the closet, allowing the Holy Spirit to move through them, groaning and crying for the salvation of soul. Nobody has seen them. We take pride. My preaching brought so many. God says, no, you have no clue what empowered your preaching. I saw the tears. I saw the cries and it's all written in my book, in their book. The cry and the tears of the saints. Prayers are recorded. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. 3.16 Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. 
for those who fear the Lord and who meditate. So those who did not fear and spoke also, there must be books. And this book is different because this is a book of remembrance. Meaning once in a while when God gets bored, he will take those books and he will look at this conversation. So like I do, all my children are away. I look at the albums and look at their face and I look at all that. And it's like, you feel good when they were small. In that way, God is also a father. Okay, God is also a father. Okay, so I mean, he doesn't need a book, but it's like to explain it to us. All those who fear the Lord and their conversation is different. So wear a mask on your face. Change the way we speak, talk. In Matthew 12 verses 36 and 37, this is what God says. We're just looking at what would happen if you are not saved. Matthew 12, 36, 37. Now, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. So books are being opened. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Okay, so we have looked into the other side of the realm, the end of life as we see now, 7,000 years over before the new beginning, new heaven, new earth, new city. And this is how it's going to end. But the decisions are made now. How it's going to end for us. Because from the day Adam and Eve ate, whether one was deceived and the other was not, it doesn't make any difference. Once you have disobeyed, sin came in. Eve was deceived, Adam was not, scripture says. And all died. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we need to understand the reality of humanity. Therefore, just as one through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. One man sinned, the first one sinned, all died in him. So what we see on earth is a useless panic because all the people who are walking on the streets are dead men walking. Unless they believe in Jesus Christ. Every man, woman, child is a dead man walking. A dead woman walking. Okay, And they are worried about the first death because they have no idea about the second death. That's why Jesus said, if you believe in me, even if you die, you live. And if you do not believe in the Son of Man, even if you live, you are dead. So we see a lot of dead men walking. And a few men, women who are alive and stay alive. So this is the situation. Okay. So we'll go to the foundational words about real salvation, which is found in John chapter 3. In a night, an incredible teacher, a part of the Sanhedrin, a ruler of the Jews, was a teacher of the Torah, of the law, comes to Jesus in the night. His name is Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus by the night and he's talking to him about Jesus. Let's go to verse 3. And Jesus tells him something which is incredible. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you are born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's like telling to Pastor Vijay, Pastor Vijay comes to me and he says, Pastor, what are your qualifications? B.Tech, M.Tech and PhD in robotics. I said, no, you need to go back to class 1. You need to go back to class one. Otherwise, you cannot serve in the church. Something like that. This is a man who is a teacher of the law. Accomplished in the word. Pharisee of Pharisees. One of the Sanhedrin. To him, God is saying, you know what? Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You are asking me questions from outside and expecting an answer from inside which you will understand. You are surprised by the things that is happening in my ministry. How do I explain to you? You are outside. 
You are outside. I am inside. You are, even if I were to explain to you, you are not going to understand it. Because this is kingdom stuff. You want to start understanding, you need to get in first. Get in first. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He's not. See, that's the problem. He's looking from outside. Born again? How is that possible? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Typical, natural question. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot see, you cannot enter. You have to be born of water and spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. So he divides humanity into two. Those who are born of flesh and those who are born of spirit. Though all will be walking the same, because they are all, all are born of flesh first, but then there is one set of people who are born in the flesh who are also born in the spirit, born of the spirit. They can see the kingdom. They can understand the kingdom. So even if you are, if you are not born in the spirit, what you are hearing, you will hear it differently. I'm sorry, you will not understand what we are trying to tell you. But if you are born again, and you ask God today, you will suddenly start, the sermons will start making meaning because you are now seeing it from within the kingdom. So we saw last one. This is something that has to happen of God and by God. You cannot be born of yourself. You have to be born of the spirit. So something that supernaturally the Holy Spirit does. We look how it happens. So we saw last night, God divides the world into three categories, three divisions. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32. Jew, Gentile and the church of God. Give no offense. Okay, leave that. The Jews are to the Greeks or to the church of God. The Jews, the Gentiles and the church of God. That's how we divide the Jew has the law. So they are a legal entity. The Gentiles have the world. They are a carnal entity. And the church is born of God. They are a spiritual entity. So how they look at is different. The Jew looks everything through the prism of the law. No. What does the law say? What does the law say? Well, the Gentiles have no law other than the law written within them. But there's nothing confirmed about it, other than the, with the different laws in different religions. But they look everything in the in the prism of the world. So it's a very flesh and world relationship, which is a carnal relationship. So they will always, if you look at the Roman, they're talking about the Greeks over there. If you look at the Greeks, so the Greeks will realize, you know what, oh, to prosper in the society, we need wisdom. So they have Minerva. The goddesses of wisdom. I mean, there was the Roman. I forgot the other one here. Oh, no, no. Sophia is, yeah, Sophia is, yeah, Sophia is also there. The goddesses of wisdom. So the one who is a scholar will worship wisdom because you know what? You are seeing it in the carnal side. The one who is a warrior will have Athene. Okay. Zeus and Hera, his wife. So you have a whole pantheon of gods and each one chooses according to what your flesh is desiring. That's what happened in Greece, that's what happened in Rome, that's what happened in all the Europe, that's what happened in Egypt, the Babylonian empires, everyone. So it's a carnal entity. And you will see all these gods have to be fed. Otherwise this god will not do anything for you. 
you have to be feed them always. Then you may get something in return. So you have a legal entity, you have a carnal entity, and then you have a spiritual entity which is called the church of God. Technically, like technically, everyone is born a Gentile. Here the term is used, Greek. Gentile means everyone is born a Gentile. Psalm 51 verse 5 truly says how everyone is born. This is how you are born. I was born. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. This is how everybody is born. In sin, under sin. So we do not sin and become sinners. We are born sinners, therefore we sin. So it doesn't matter what good we do. Our nature hasn't changed. We are still sinners. And what salvation does is our inside nature is changed. God comes in and we are declared righteous. Now the righteous are struggling with sin. There's a difference. Okay. So technically everybody is born a Gentile. And the Gentile who is born in the Jewish family on the eighth day becomes a Jew. Because he enters under the law by circumcision. And on the 40th day, he is presented to the temple. That's under the law. Okay, technically. Circumcision is cutting away of the flesh. Meaning you are not attached to the world anymore. Under the law, you have been separated to Yahweh. Hmm? And the purpose of the law was only one thing. Now we will get into the Jew first before we go into the Greek. Okay, because that's the order that is given over there. The law was given through Moses. We know that. And the purpose of the law was this. In Revelation, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. And then later, Matthew 48, 448 or 548. This was the purpose. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for the Lord your God am holy. How will they know God is holy? Somebody just comes and says, Oh, worship the Lord thy God. Your God is holy. What did this holy mean? So the law is given. When you look at the law and says, This is the law of God, and you realize, Okay, 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 okay. Meaning, the guy who smokes pot openly in Holland or Netherlands and secretly in India will never dare to do either in Singapore. Because he'll be punished with death. It's a capital punishment there, even to bring it in. When you're entering into Singapore, one of the first things they will, this thing is, is that it's a capital offense here, drugs. Okay, are you getting it? How perspective suddenly changes when you have knowledge? So how are we going to know God is holy? So if you are looking at a legal perspective, God is not holy in, uh, in Holland. He's slightly holy in India, very holy in Singapore. If you look at pot, So you need to have law which reflects the character of God. So the, the law was given to reflect, to show to us who is God. What is the nature of his kingdom? After death, where are you going? Do you want to go there? After death, there is only one realm. That is the realm of God. And where you are separated from God is called hell and later the lake of fire. Okay. So the purpose of the law was not that we could ever keep it. Or by keeping it, anybody got brownie points. Because it's a sinner keeping the law. The righteous should keep the law. Then he can still say something. But you are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. It doesn't matter what you do. But he will at least know what God is like. 
In John chapter 5, while he's talking about expanding the law, Jesus came with truth, so he's showing us the spirit of the law, which we call truth. And Matthew yeah, 5, 48, he says at the end, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So, Jesus comes and says, and Moses is told, God is holy, God is perfect. This is what is required to enter heaven. What is the standard to enter heaven? Be holy as God is holy, be perfect as God is perfect. Push, gone. Wretched man, Lord, we are all out. Okay, before the inning started, all out. Because we are born unholy. We are born sinners. So the purpose of the law was only one, to show the holiness or the perfection, the righteousness of God, that we would cry out, Lord, save me. Mankind was absolutely doomed unless God stepped in. But the God of love had to save man, yet he had to save man in such a way he didn't mar either his righteousness or his holiness or his perfection. Only God could do it. Nobody could have done it. So what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was one to reflect God's holiness, righteousness, his perfection and to lead man to Christ. That was the purpose of the law. Galatians chapter 3 verse 23 onwards. The purpose of the law. Before faith came in, we were kept under guard by the law. Whole world. We look at this world and we are looking at Wuhan. Somebody sent me a forward of before the virus hit the, the scenery of Wuhan. China is very big on construction, no? the engineering skills, no? all that. All oh, we look at, oh, look at our metro, the highest, uh, what is that metro, that Jubilee Hill station. No, we pride about all that. We don't realize this whole world is a lockup. Everybody is locked up in this world under the law. God's biggest lockup is the world. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. What was release? Who could open the key? Only by faith. Which would afterward be revealed. So Jesus came to this prison and opened the gate and those who put their trust in it. That's why he says, I am the door. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. Only purpose of the law was to teach us. He was our schoolmaster. Purpose? To bring us to Christ. But after that we might be justified by faith. Meaning we'll see faith in Jesus Christ in his work alone. But after faith has come. Once we have believed in the repented, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been justified by faith. We are no longer under the law. The law has ceased in our life. It has done its objective brought you to that's your passing out in your college you get that this thing you throw it up and say why to the teachers because the teachers have finished their work the whole thing was to hand you over to something else it's over okay. you may miss your class one teacher but you don't go back to her you go to class two it's over so don't be sentimental about the law the law has achieved its purpose Okay, after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Under law, we were prisoners. Christ came and set us free. We all become sons. That's what Bible says. He took captivity captive and led them as a train to heaven. All who held captive by the law. Okay. So that's what the law does. 
Tomorrow we will see, or God willing, whenever as it flows, how Jesus saves and why only Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. I'm sorry if you are hurt, any non-Christian friend who is watching. Why only Jesus saves and how Jesus saves. So we looked at the three categories of people. The Gentiles, the Jews, and the church. The problem with the Gentiles, the Greeks, is Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Second Corinthians 4, 4 is the condition of the Greeks. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Absolutely thick. Okay, blinded. Problem is that who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, could shine on them. He's took it. So when you pray for Greeks, don't pray for salvation. Pray that the blindness will go. The blindness over their eyes, that it will fall off. Lord, pray. And we should pray for ourselves also. There are many layers of blindness. It keeps on that we see clearly, 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 clearly. And once you have seen clearly, the Bible says we will be as perfect as he is perfect. That's clarity of vision. That is a spiritual clarity. Okay? So, the Gentiles, the Greeks are blinded completely by the God of this world. That's Satan. Blinded. Otherwise, they would see the glory of the gospel. There's a glory in gospel. Absolute, incredible. Because it is the glory of Jesus Christ. Who is the image of God? Would shine upon them. So, the problem with the Gentiles, the Greeks is, they are blinded. They are blindfolded. The problem with the Jews is this. 2 Corinthians again, chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. This is the problem with the Jews. Jews have the law. That is called Moses. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the old... Where did we go? Yeah, okay. So what happens? They have a whale. Whenever they read Moses, their mind are blinded until this day, same whale remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the whale is taken away only in Christ. You can sit and argue with a Jewish rabbi of Isaiah 53, everything. He cannot see. The minute a Jewish person becomes a Christian, he understands Jewish Isaiah 53, the whole Old Testament better than us. He understands this is Christ. Because whenever you read the law, a whale covers your eyes. The others are blinded. Here, a whale covers so that through the law, they are not able to see Christ. And what about the church? Those who are born again. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. 3.16, yeah, can come further. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And you are able to see the kingdom from Genesis 1 onwards, all the way you see, this is about Christ. This is about Christ. This is what Jesus told Nicodemus. Unless you are born of the Spirit, you cannot see. No, you cannot see, how can you enter? How can you enter something which you cannot see? You cannot see or enter Unless you are born of the spirit. When you are born of the spirit, the veil is taken off. So what is the gospel? The gospel is, literally it means, the good news. The good news. And Paul will explain it. He is a man God used to explain the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, 
I am not ashamed. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greeks. So salvation gospel first went to the Jews. Okay, and then went to the Greeks. For in the gospel something is revealed. That is why it's good news. The righteousness of God, because everybody realizes, if you really know that to enter into the kingdom of God, you need to have the righteousness of God. But the problem is there is no revelation of the righteousness of God outside the law. So the Greeks are absolutely blinded because their gods don't have that righteousness. They have no clue. What righteousness does Minerva have? What righteousness that uh, Zeus have? He left his wife, chased a girl who was pretty, she turned into a swan, he turned into a swan, and then he impregnated her, and then she laid an egg out of which came a child. That child was a Greek uh, mythology hero in the Trojan War and all. So these are those gods, they have no concept about righteousness and holiness and all. The Greeks were worshipping, none of them. Every one of them was immoral. You could you could get out of any situation by bribing them. The Egyptian gods, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the Scandinavian gods. The Scandinavian god of war was called Thor. Okay, all the entire Greek mythology, Odyssey and Ulysses are all connected with their gods. And you go through that whole thing, you will see absolutely nothing is not a problem. Lying is not a problem, fornication is not a problem, adultery is not a problem, covetousness is a problem, stealing is not a problem, everything is okay. So you have no clue about the righteousness of God. So to understand there is only one God and he's the living God and the real God. To understand what his nature is, he picked a man called Abraham, moved him out of the, from their maids, brought him into the promised land, three generations there, moved them into Egypt, made them into a nation with great ten judgments, brought them out, brought them into the wilderness, took Moses up to the mountain and gave them the law and said, this is what I kind of look like. It's not exact. Imagine this kind of, this is enough. If I show you my this thing, you will die. But this is what I look like. So when the law came in, law came in, everybody understood what God is like. What God is like. And what is the terror of the law? You look at the law and you will realize it is impossible for any man to be righteous. So God comes and offers us this incredible gift of eternal life. That is the gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God, the Minimum standard required to enter into heaven. Pass mark. Crown is different. Basic righteousness of God you need. The crown of righteousness is a different thing. The basic calling is this. Is revealed from faith. By faith. Faith to faith. Meaning, once you enter by faith, you have seen the door. You entered. And then as you move on by faith to faith to faith, there is a revelation of God is throughout Eternity. This is who God is. This is who God is. This is how God is. But for that you need to walk by faith. To faith. To faith. That's why scripture says the just shall live by faith. That we will look into it again details later. Now we know Romans 10, 17 for all the young believers over there. We have to show them how does faith come. So then faith comes from hearing. Hearing means Hearing with ears, primarily, also those who can read, by reading you will hear God speak to you. 
deep inside. He will speak to you. Even when I am speaking to you, people who are listening online or others, you will hear something, the Spirit of God speaking to you. It is from that voice that faith comes. Otherwise it would be written, faith comes from reading. It's not man's voice. It's God's voice. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of God. That man has to either read the word of God or speak the word of God. We don't speak anything else. That's why Paul will say, we preach Christ crucified. We don't preach about the world, seven steps to prosperity and all that junk. We don't do that. We preach Christ. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. The word of God. And that's how Jesus proclaims himself in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word. Okay, you don't have to go there. That is why we preach. Even in exigencies like this, we preach even more. Because we realize we've got a captive audience. Literally captive audience. An audience that has been kept captive in their homes by the law of the land. First, the law had put everybody under sin. Now the law of the land has put everybody indoors. So we have a captive audience. So we preach even more now. So Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 Jesus will tell us, what does he tell us? This is what he says. Got it? He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. For 2000 years, this is why people have given their lives in their tens and thousands and thousands to reach the world. They were able to go because they were not afraid of death. They were not afraid of death. Death, they knew Christ has come in. Now we cannot die. Even if we die, we will live forevermore. But others shouldn't die. And nations and religions do not understand what is the fervor of evangelist. Why is he willing to risk his life? There are religions that will kill to convert. And there is, there is one religion, if you want to call it religion, which will die to convert. Even their death is a testament. So all the apostles were killed, except John who died of old age. They never killed anybody. And if any format of of Christianity turns violent, it's not of Christ. It is not of Christ. It cannot be of Christ. Because Christianity does not justify it in any format. That leaves it to the government. But Christianity does not justify it all because the whole idea is to save man. Okay, so when you go through the Middle Ages and all the junk, those uh, kings and Catholic all the churches and the Spanish Inquisition and all, those were not Christians. They were never born again. They had taken a religion and gone back into the law. And outside the law, they were worse than Gentiles at that age. Okay? That is why the Bible is the most translated and printed book ever. Distributed book ever. And that's why the Bible is the most attacked book and burned book ever. Dispensations feared this book. And if they can get, they will confiscate every copy and burn it. If they can. Why? Because they know the power of that word. Because no other religious book has the power to save. No other religious book has the power to save. Because every other religion will leave it to you. Do, 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 do and then maybe. Every religious book. Will tell you, do, 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 maybe, including the law. Do, 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 do. And then we'll also say, even if you do, you're not saved. Well, when the gospel says, you don't have to do. You believe what he has done. Believe what he has done. 
receive the spirit that comes in. Listen to the spirit and obey. He will do it through you. So salvation is a completely different ball game. And this word itself that we preach is a spiritual entity. The word itself is a spiritual. Though I am speaking in the physical this thing, it's a spiritual entity and it is a seed, spiritual seed. In First Peter chapter 123, I think, 123, First Peter chapter 123, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but in Corruptible seed, the word of God which lives and abides forever. So once it, it's an incorruptible seed, there's only one thing that can be incorruptible, it has to be eternal. Everything, heaven and earth will pass away, so everything is passing away again. There is something that cannot pass away which is the word of God, because it's incorruptible. That's why Jesus says heaven and earth will pass away, not even a dot from my word. When whole earth and heaven is burned away, the word never disappears, because it's a, I'm not talking about the books, the Bible's printing. But the word in itself, the spiritual entity, never will go. So the word of God you hear, you believe, it's a spiritual entity. It is a word, seed, that can bring life. And then James chapter 1 and verse 18. James 1 verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his, of the new creation. Okay? New, his creatures, new. So by the word that we preached, we heard, we repented, we believed, and that word did something inside, and we were born again by the word and by the spirit. The spirit did the work on the word. Without the word, the spirit cannot do the work. Okay? It cannot do the work. So this is how it began 2000 years ago. Whatever every preacher is doing is what God did in the beginning. Just replicating. It's nothing is original. In the beginning, scripture says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was dark, void, darkness covered and the waters covered and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay? Everything is dark. The spirit of God is ready to do its work but will not do until the word comes. So scripture says God spoke. Let there be light. That is the word. And when the word came, the spirit came and the creation began. Even today it is the same thing. Nobody will be born again unless somebody speaks. Or somebody reads. The word has to go. So you may pick up a transcript or whatever, one of this on the road and you look at it and you read and you meditate and you believe the spirit of God immediately comes. Or you preach and you hear, you believe the spirit of God. The word has to go forth. So the enemy will do through systems and rulers and nations to do everything possible to see that the word of God is not disseminated. But because he knows it is the power of God unto man's salvation. So what God did in the beginning from that time, every man is replicating. When Noah is building and he's preaching, repent for the king. He's doing the same thing. And anybody believed the spirit would have come and got him inside. Into the ark of safety. These are types. So go, let's go to Acts chapter 2. When salvation began. The new covenant began 2000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. A simple fisherman. Not learned. Semi probably learned. But he walked with Jesus. So he learned to speak. I don't know whether he learned to write. Maybe he didn't. He spoke to somebody. And that person wrote first and second epistles. I'm not sure. But here is he. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 to 38. He was speaking on that day and the people were cut to the heart. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus. Because what the scripture says, first to the Jews and then to the... So on the day of their feast, all the Jews were gathered in Israel, in Jerusalem, day of Pentecost. He steps forward and he preaches. 
that God has made Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Holy Spirit started moving. He had to preach, the Holy Spirit will move. The Holy Spirit will not move unless you preach what he tells you to preach. So he preached, the Holy Spirit moved. And they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They are still thinking in their carnal mind. They are thinking, oh my gosh, he was the savior, but we killed him. We killed him, then what will we do? They are still thinking in terms of the kingdom of Israel. And he still telling us, he is inside the kingdom, they are outside the kingdom. So he tells them. Peter said to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He told us, something will happen, he says. If you repent, you believe and you get baptized. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now let's go, you got to, get to come put the process into picture. Mark 16, 16. Repent and be baptized. In Mark 16, 16, you will put the third also thing. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. So repent, self is believing. You cannot repent unless you believe the message. Okay? Wash your hands. Put a mask. That's a message. If you believed, you wash your hands. Stay indoors. Don't come out. All those who didn't believe got nicely spanked. Now they all believe. Okay. So, there is a repentance that is associated with believing. Okay. Repentance itself is an act of believing. Okay, If you believe and be baptized. So, repent, believe, baptize. So, the first stage of salvation is put into three terms. What is that? Repent, believe and... So, in Hindi we say manfiran. Change your mind completely about God's kingdom, what it is like and what life is like. Don't get fooled. This is nothing. The next death is what is terrible and there is no escape out of it. You can escape from this, you cannot escape from that. Okay. So what does the Gentile have to? The Greek has to be repent of the Greek. This is the Greek's biodata. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. Greek biodata. Our biodata. And you he made alive. Who were what once? Dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. How? Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the other. So what was the primary purpose of a Greek outside the law? Pleasure. It was that, pleasure. Pleasure driven generation from the time. What did they have to repent of? These things. They had to repent of all that. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Luke chapter 15 and verse 32 when that prodigal son had gone to a faraway country and he lived in carousing with eating, drinking, prostitutes. You know what the father said at the end? It is right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was? He didn't say he was. Just went on a vacation. 
said he was dead. He was just dead. Anyone who lives for pleasure is dead. And he's alive again because he's repented, came to his senses and has come back to his father's house. He was dead. So what did we Gentiles have to repent about? Because we didn't know the law. So we had to repent about our old life. Lord, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. In Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6, connected with this deadness. Jesus talks about widows. He says, she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Okay. So we have to, that is the pleasures of Egypt. So that was the act of Moses by turning his back to the pleasures of Egypt. He who was dead was made alive. That was his act of repentance. Okay. So the Gentiles, we all Gentiles, before we became believers, we have to repent about how we lived in this world. We lived primarily, everything was pleasure based. Okay. And even when we served gods, we served the gods of our appetites. That's why in all Gentile religions, Greek or anything, everything, you have a god for sex also. It's called Eros. Aphrodite. Fertility gods. All sex gods are there. Alcoholized gods. Anything connected with pleasure, there is a god. Entertainment also has gods. That is why Milton, even when he's writing Paradise Lost and all, he goes in the greed format and he invocation to the muses. The muses are the ones who will give inspiration to write poetry. And even today, all these great actors and all, why are they all like, have alter personalities? Because they have gone into these dark spaces and they have received demons in and when they step out, they are fantastic actors. It is not normal or natural, it is demonic. So they have worshipped other gods who will give you the talents because Satan was perfect in beauty and wisdom and he is God all it, it all if you want to live that life. He can feed your flesh. Okay, so they went into that side and they will die also miserably one day. So this is this is the Gentile. Okay, Gentile, what the Gentile has to repent from. What about the Jew? Jew is this. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. Galatians 2, verse 16. These are talking about the good Jew. The bad Jew is just like a Gentile, the prodigal son. The prodigal son also has to repent. The elder son also has to repent. But you realize the prodigal son repented and the elder son refused to repent. The sinners in Israel repented and were flocking in. The Pharisees refused to repent. Why? Because they think they are righteous by the law. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. What does he have to repent? From the works of the law. Because he's putting his trust in the works of the all the works he has done. I have kept Sabbath, I paid my mint, I pray three times a day, like our Muslim brethren also, under the law they have their this thing. And they will keep these five things of Islam or seven things of Buddhism and all. They put their trust in this. That is the good works of the law. But you need to repent from that. It's totally irrelevant to God. All those. You're not saved by that. So if you are on the righteous side and not on the pleasure side, what do you need to repent from? That no man is justified by the works of the Lord. Only by faith in Christ. It is such a difficult thing for That's why Jesus said, the righteous scarcely enters. They struggle. Those who are rich in righteousness will struggle to enter. In every nation you will see it's the poor and the sinners who get in first. The righteous struggle. 
Because they are banking on their stuff. So what does the righteous have to dip, uh, repent of? They have to repent of their righteousness. False righteousness. Because it simply doesn't make any difference. You never meet the righteous standards of God. Galatians 3.10 3.10 <coughs> As many as are the works of the law are under the curse. What is the curse of the law? For it is written, curse is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Meaning the minute you come under the law, till the day you die, you have to keep all the works of the law and there is no room for error. It's like Pastor Vijay teaching Abigail math, 100 only. 99 also, Papa is not happy. That's why grandpa will give him little mercy from this era. Because it is okay. It's only math. Abigail. Okay, It's only math. Don't worry. Abigail. It's only math. 100%. 99.99 is not acceptable under the law. Everything that is written should be kept. Everything. And you don't keep it. You are under a... Not that you failed. <laughs> and you can retry. You are under a curse. And what is a curse? You should be hanged on the tree. James 2.10 okay, This is the problem. And you have to repent from this. Nobody is saved by the law. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet I like the word. It's not even fall. Stumble. Over one little thing. You are guilty of it all. Finish. I point the Finish. No use now. Gone. So law makes you miserable. Never made man happy. It either made you proud. That's who really did not understand the law. Made you very proud. I have kept all. That's why this knowledge of the law puffs people up. Proud Pharisees. Or it made you very genuine Pharisee who was really trying to be righteous. It made you miserable. That's why Paul is a miserable Pharisee. That's why Nicodemus is miserable. He's depressed. And Jesus comes into the picture. Because till then he was thinking, okay, I think I am okay until he saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he realized, you know what? I am not okay. I am not okay. Meaning he's probably thinking, like I'm trying to think. He's thinking, man, I'm around 60 years old. I've worked on the law all my life. I've gone up the law and I've reached the Sanhedrin, which is a very difficult thing in Yakam. You've only 70 people in a generation get to make it. I made it up to over there. And you know what? This carpenter guy has come from Nazareth who doesn't know anything about the law supposedly. And he's, you look at his life and you realize this is genuine and I am not. What was the whole point of following the law all these years? He's miserable. That's why he comes in the dark and goes out in the dark. And Jesus makes people miserable. He said, this is the standard. What should we do to enter the kingdom of God? This is the standard. I am the standard. And how do we be that? You cannot. You need to believe in me and allow my spirit to be born in you. Then you can. There's no other way. I in you and you in me. There's no other way. Okay. So this is what salvation is. <coughs> so, repent. Believe and be baptized. That is Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 onwards. You only look at that portion. No, Hebrews 6, the order in the Bible is so beautiful. What does it say? Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. He's writing to a church. Hey, let's not go back to basics again. What is that? Not laying again the foundation of repentance from what? Dead work. What is the dead works? The Gentiles works of pleasure is dead works. It will tell you, take you to death. 
the Jews works of righteousness is also dead works because that will also take you to hell. So repent from both works which lead to death. They are dead works. They are not good works or bad works. They are dead works. Because the end of these works is only death. And faith towards God. What is the faith towards God? Believe in the work which God has done through his son. Faith towards God. And doctrine of baptism. So you are seeing here, repent, believe and be baptized. That is the beginning of salvation. Like I said, it is easier to get a sinner repentant than one under the law. Now let us look at the, look at the law. Okay, let's look at the law as to why, because this is our struggle with, because many of people who may be listening may be really good, really good people trying to be good with all their strength. Romans chapter 7, verses 7 onwards. <coughs> Romans 7, verse 7 onwards. We'll understand what is the issue with the law. What shall I say then? Is the law sin? No. Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. That's why only the Jews had a concern about what sin is and the Gentiles did not have. Other and the sages among them who searched, meditated, searched, the sages of India also who wrote the Rig Veda and their search, they had a concern about righteousness and after that they came and covered their whole thing and made the religion into something which was never was in the beginning. And turn it back into flesh. But if you go into the core, they had a concept about righteousness. The ones who really, really sought the Lord. They had a concept about that. God is righteous. The kingdom of God is righteous. Okay? On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetous unless the law said you shall not covet. Okay? If you have a, if you, if you have a, if you grow up in Holland, uh, and you never watch anything that's happening in another country, you'll always think smoking pot is normal. So you go to Holland and not smoke pot, they'll think, what's wrong with you? You are abnormal. Did you get it? Believers are abnormal in this world. Because either are they following the ways of the world, nor the ways of the law. They're absolutely abnormal people to this world, or to the Jews. That is why God divides the world into three categories. The Greeks, the Jews, the Greeks and the Church of God. Church of God doesn't fit anywhere here. There's a denomination called Church of God. I'm not talking about them. (laughs) They don't fit here. Okay. So, I would not have known what is covetousness unless the law had come. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire for apart from the law sin was. I'll tell you beautiful, real examples. You're going out of your house. Let's say Pastor Vijay. Going out of the house. And he tells Abigail. Abigail, I'm going out of the house. Mama and I are going. You both are over there. And let us say Emmanuel is very small. Only four, three years old. And she has no clue. And Abigail, let us say, is 11. Say, okay. Don't eat the chocolates in the fridge. Don't steal the chocolates. So Abigail hears. And she knows what it is. Emanuela has no idea what stealing is. She has never heard the word before. So what will Abigail do? Abigail will tell Emanuela, you go get the chocolates and give it to me. Wow. This is what children do at home. So Emanuela goes, she has no clue what stealing is. Because she has never heard the law. She goes and takes it. And she, how many, Emanuela, Abigail? Two. Okay. Here. Okay, you have one, I have one. And then you come back. Did you eat? I put five here. How come only three is here? Abigail, did you steal? No. Manuela took it. This is what children do. 
And then Emmanuel gets this thing, scolding. Then Emmanuel realizes, oh, stealing is a sin. Okay. So if the problem is, if there is no law, there is no sin. And people would like that. The problem is, yes, God says, if you want it, I can remove the law, you sin, and I go go to eternity in the lake of fire. But I love you too much for that. He says, you fathers being evil know how to give good things to your children. You wake them up, you get them ready, you send them to school through all their hardship because you know at the end of the day there is something good for them. What do you think? I as a father should just leave you to your own this thing and die and go to hell? He says, I can't do that. I'm much better. That's why I give you my spirit. So that you don't have to reach there. So what happens is sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, Sin was dead. Then, yeah, keep on, yeah, till 12. I was alive once without the law. Alive, thinking alive, but actually dead. But when commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Therefore, the law is, ah, the law is holy. Is, is thou shall not steal a good law or a bad law? The thief thinks it's a very bad law. Until his money is stolen. (laughs) The adulterer thinks thou shall not commit adultery is very bad until somebody sleeps with his wife. The liar thinks it's a very bad law until somebody lies to him and takes advantage of him. Is it a good or bad? The law is holy. And the commandment holy. Just and good. There's no problem with the law. It reflects God. Okay. <clears throat> so the problem is not with the law. The problem is with me. Verse 14. Where does the problem lie? It lies with me. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal. Sold under the sin. Are you getting the picture? The problem is, the more you study the law, the more you are aware of sin. That's why when you are in trouble, you go to a lawyer. Because he has studied the law. He will tell you 15 different ways how you can get out of this mess. Because he has studied the whole law. The more you study the law, the more you know the violations of the law. So you become miserable. Studying of the law doesn't make you happy at all. It only becomes you, makes you more. We are all very happy because we don't even know the Ten Commandments by heart. Forget the Levitical law. It makes you miserable. Let's go to verse 21 onwards. Same chapter. It's an incredible chapter. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. But I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. He realized, you see, I'm a, I'm a split personality. Through that soul, because I was, came under the law, I love the law. Yeah, law is good. Thou shalt not say, it is really good. Thou shalt not lie. But I realize outside there is another man who li- lo- loves to steal and tell lies. So now, another man. When he is caught in a 
crisis, the outer man immediately lies and tries to get out of it. Though inside he loves the law. The minute you run into trouble, okay, David slept with Bathsheba. It's another man's wife. She's pregnant. Okay, immediately. Does he delight in the law inwardly? Does he act according to it? No. Immediately he's looking how to escape. Get Uriah here. Straight from the battlefield. Get him. Let him go sleep with his wife. He doesn't go. Get him drum the next day. Let him go. Doesn't go. Doesn't work. Okay, get him killed. Let me take that widow and marry her. Let me cover. You see, is the law good? Does he really know? He is the one who wrote us Psalm 119, how he loves the law, meditates upon the, which is true. All of us love the law inside. The problem is there is a carnal mind and a carnal body outside. You getting it? For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? When I was young, in my little hometown where I did my college and all, you see the biggest pilgrimage center in Kerala, where others from other states come, is a place called Shabrimala. All this, you know, brothers, Hindu brothers who wear that black and all, they go, no? So they take a 30-day or a 40-day vritam fast. Okay, they fast, you see they are dressed in black, they don't wear sandals on their feet, they are big, they think, no? And, uh, and they abstain, they don't look at girls or anything. That was the old way they did it. Because you know why? Because that's the controversy, the, the case lying in the Supreme Court. Because the deity over there is a brahmachari. That's why women, uh, only uh, during the menstruation age is not allowed so that you don't tempt the deity. So all the men also abstain and go. So when they are going to Shabrimala, because we used to be coming back from college, when these guys are going to Shabrimala, they are all singing, singing this thing all the day. Coming back, Vratam is over. They are whistling at every girl on the road. Because the college girls are all going, what happened? Now we have, this thing is over. This other law was fighting outside while we are going. There was a law which said you have to do this. And now you are out of, you are free from the law. Your 40 day fast is over. That is what Mardi Gras happened. Just before Lent began, Mardi Gras. And they were, Luciana is one of the states hit by the coronavirus. Mardi Gras, before the Lent begins, is the indulgence of the flesh. You need to understand how it works. Okay? It works. So this is what the Bible is talking about. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Now let us look at the crux of it, how Paul puts in First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 56 so that we understand this. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. So there are three things over there. Law, sin, and death. Three things there. And what, yeah, the, what is the sting of death? Listen. And the powers of sin is the, it's like a scorpion. Or a, let's say a cobra. There is a cobra. And then it's got its fangs. In that fangs there is poison. Okay. If the cobra bites you, you will die. Okay, what causes you to die? Not the bite, it's the poison. It is the poison. Okay, so that's what it's talking about. Why does sin cause death? Because the law said so. The wages of sin is death. What empowers sin? The law. What is the wages of sin? 
That's what Jesus did. He took death upon itself and took the whole poison upon himself and released us. Are you getting it? This is the problem of the law. Law empowers sin and sin empowers death. And the law does nothing to help us. Absolutely nothing to help us. That's a cry. Of Romans chapter 7, 24. And 25 is the answer. Oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of... Does the law says, I will? No. Go to hell. Literally he says, go to hell. Where did you get that word from, go to hell? From the law. That's what the law tells everybody, go to hell. Go to hell. Go to hell. Wretched man, who will deliver me? And verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So salvation begins with the death of the flesh. And you die daily. Mind, you understand law is good. But the spirit comes and gives you the spirit of the law. We will not get that into there. Okay? So you hear the gospel. What is the gospel? Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 and 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 4.17 Say, at that time, that is John the Baptist, this is Jesus. Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is the problem with the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? It is the kingdom of perfect righteousness and perfect holiness. So repent before it hits you. There's a day appointed by God when that kingdom will become manifest on earth. You don't get saved before that, you are done. It's like Noah's ark. Bill, Bill, God's patience and long suffering waited, 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 waited. Finally it is finished. Maybe 100 years, 120 years. Animals all came and got it. Then the door was left. Everybody is inside. Seven more days. And then God shut the door. Before the door shuts on the age of grace in each one's life, God is saying, repent. Why? The kingdom of God. That is why we should be excited because every sign is a sign of the kingdom of God. So if you are righteous and growing in your righteousness, it should bring excitement. If you are righteous but you have fallen, then it should say God is giving you time to repent and get back. For the kingdom of God is what? The kingdom of perfect holiness and perfect righteousness. So three words are used there. Repent from dead works and carnal works. Believe in Jesus and his work on the cross alone that we'll look tomorrow. And three, be baptized. So the question is, why should I be baptized? Why do you bring this baptized baptism in sin? Because Jesus also brought it in Mark 16, 16. Right? Why do you bring this baptism? What is his problem with baptism? He who believes and is baptized will be saved. So and is there. So it's included with believing. It's not an option. Believes and is baptized will be saved. Why? Now to the Gentile, let us look. This is the Gentile. Okay, this is the Gentile. This is the Jew. To the Gentile, what is the problem? I don't know whether I should go to the Gentile or the Jew. First. Now we look at the Gentile, a Jew first. 
because that's gospel is preached to the Jew first, right? So we'll look at the Jew first, then we'll go to the Gentile. The Jewish little fellow is born, eighth day he's circumcised. He comes under the law. And by law, he's married to the law. Marriage is a covenant. What is marriage? A covenant. So he's now entered into the covenant of the law. He's married to the law. He enters a covenant. Now there is a problem with the law which Jesus explained in Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 and 18. The problem with the law. To whom it you are covenanted. No. Matthew. Matthew. Going to Mark. Matthew. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So when will the law pass away? When heaven and earth pass away. So what is the lifespan of the law? 7,000 years. From the time of Adam, creation, till thousand years reign of Jesus Christ is over. That's when heaven and earth passes away. The lost lifespan is how much? 7,000. And you are married to whom? The law. Will this, is this fellow going to die? No. You are stuck with him. Now go to Romans chapter 7 and see how Paul explains this. Why we need to get baptized. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. The law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to a husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while a husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no longer no adulteress, though she has married another man. Do you get the picture? So have a choice. If I was a Jewish boy, born under the law, got circumcised, came under the law, like a marriage covenant, I am covenanted to the law. I am under the covenant. And the problem is the law never dies. It will take 7,000 years before the law will die. So I, I am married to the law. So if the law does not die, there is only one way I can be free. I need to die. If the man dies, the woman is free. You getting another law? Free. So baptism is my death. So if you do not get baptized, you are committing adultery. You are married to the law and having an affair with Christ. And Christ is not a man who has an affair. That's the problem. That's the problem. Lot of Christians are having an affair with Christ while married to the law. There is only way you can get married to Christ. It's another covenant, the new covenant. Married to Christ. Enter into a covenant with him. It's by dying to the law. Because the law is not going to die. There's no way the law is going to die. That fellow has got a long lifespan. It's not going to die. So you have to die. So Romans chapter 6, verses 3 onwards, the Bible answers the question, what do you do? Okay? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. And verse 5, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So what is baptism? Baptism is my death and burial of the old man. And the resurrection of a new man who is married to Christ. Now the law has no hold over me. Has no hold over me. Why? Because now I am married to? Tomorrow we will look. The guys who are trying to take believers back to the law is now who is married to Christ to try to have an affair with the old fellow. The guys who say once you believe that's okay, even if you don't get baptized, it is okay. It's trying to make you have an affair with Christ. Those who are married to Christ, they are trying to take you back to the law. Is trying to have an affair with the law. Understand how it works. Why is this third thing so important? Because it's your death. It's your death. Same is with the Gentile. The Gentile was married to the flesh, uh, to this world. Because he's all flesh. Flesh and world is made for each other. Ek ke liye. Ah, kya baat hai. The flesh and this world created by, not the earth, the world created by the devil and the flesh are made for each other. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that's the flesh and the world. So he was covenanted to this world, married to this world. So when the Gentile, I the Gentile, when I got baptized and came out, I was saying, I died to this world. I died to this world. Are you getting it? I died to this world. So the Bible is very, very tough about this. James chapter 4, verse 4. Do you get it? Baptized Christians. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know friendship with the world is enmity with God? Ah, why does he use that term? Because when you got baptized, you were covenanted to Christ Jesus. You entered into a marriage covenant with Christ Jesus and you died to the world. Now you're quietly going back to the... You died. He didn't die. You didn't die. You died. He didn't die. Now you're quietly going back to your old husband. Adulteress and adulteresses. Do you think you can escape my eye? So when we preach against the world, people all get mad. Because you got a spirit of adultery in your heart. You like that. You like that. So that's why God shut down the world for the sake of Christians who are fooling around there saying, get back, get your act back. Don't you understand what it means? Do you know what happened when you got baptized? He who believes and is baptized will be saved from what? Both the law and the world. Repent, faith towards God, believe, and be baptized. And if you do that, what happens? We will, we will uh, go back to uh, James chapter 4, 4 and 5. Okay, But let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. What happens when you believe? Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive what? That's the proof. It's a proof. There's an inward witness that you are born again. What is that? The Holy Spirit who cries out from within, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. It's an inward witness. That's the proof. Not the outward rituals. 
the outward rituals do not have any meaning if unless there is a inward witness. The inward witness is the most important part. You are born again of the spirit and the spirit comes to dwell within you. And the spirit will tell you, Daddy, Abba, I fell, Abba, I need, Abba. That's the inward witness. That's the proof. And Galatians 3, 2, this is what Paul is so upset with the Galatian church who had started that way and he's telling them, listen to you guys. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the Lord? Did anyone you all the days you obeyed the Lord? Did you get the spirit? No. You had a spirit, yes. It was called the spirit of condemnation. Because the law only condemned you. Oh, by the hearing of faith. When you heard, when you believed, when you repented, when you got baptized. Did you get the spirit? So that is the inward proof. Are you getting it? So if I was a Gentile, and I got, I got saved. Holy Spirit came in. I got baptized. I received the Holy Spirit. And James chapter 4 verse 4 and 5 says, Adulterers and adulterers, do you not know the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Who therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Do you not, do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns? Ah, this is a jealousy of marriage. Others, if you don't feel it, you're not born again. You're not born again. You're not born again. You just went through the rituals and there is no spirit convicting you. How come? You're my son's bride and you're fooling around with that fellow? Aren't you ashamed? Aren't you ashamed? The spirit within you yearns how the, not angrily Jealously, so there is an entire portion in the old covenant about the jealousy of the husband. Our God is a jealous God. Yeah? And why was God so jealous? Because Israel went after other gods. Because he will covenant to him. So you understand there what the Bible is talking about? These are how we look at the scriptures and apply it to ourselves during this time of lockdown. But, how did it all begin? It all began by hearing. You heard, you repented of your dead works, Gentile dead works, or under the Lord dead works. You believed only in the work of Jesus Christ. And what did God do? The minimum required, God passed Mark to enter into heaven. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. This is the pass Mark you get to enter into heaven. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Justified means just as if we have never sinned. You are declared righteous. Declared just. It's not declared forgiven. No. Forgiven, you are still a criminal. Forgiven criminal. That's not what God is saying here. Just as if you have never sinned. We have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Are we getting the picture? Simple gospel message. This is the minimum qualification required to enter heaven. The question is, what did we do to enter heaven? Nothing. That's the problem with the righteous man. Just believe. It's not possible. You mean to say 60 years I struggled with all these good works. All my arms, all my fasting, all my prayer, all these things. Fed the poor, the beggars, everything. Went to the temple or synagogue regularly. You mean to say all that means nothing? Yeah, nothing. I don't want that God. If he doesn't accept my good works, I don't want him. That's the problem with the righteous people. What did we do? Nothing. 
It's entirely the work of God. That's why it's a free gift. And people struggle because you know, because they know, like even a politician doesn't give you a free gift. He gives it in return for your vote. There are no freebies in life is what we constantly hear. There is something which is called salvation. It's absolutely free to enter into heaven. After that your work is for different things. You stay in and to move on and all that. It's a different thing. But to enter in, it's free. Admission is free. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. What does it say? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For you. By grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Nobody when they stand before God will ever. That's why everybody puts a crown at his feet. Because it's the work of God, the work of grace. How did you appropriate it? By faith. The minute you believed, grace started flowing in and you were saved by grace through faith. And how did faith come? By hearing. And hearing? the word of God. So when we preach, those who believed, all those who believed that day, the grace of God came in and they got saved. This is what salvation is. The trap. Faith comes by hearing. Romans 1.17 Galatians 3.11 and Hebrews 10.38 For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. At his return, once you are saved, If you want to be always saved, the just shall live by, you have to live by faith. Galatians 3.11 But no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38 Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back. How can I draw back? There are two ways I can draw back. I can draw back to the law and God is not pleased. Or I can draw back to the world and God is not pleased at all. If any man draws back either to the law, works of the law, to please God, or to the works of the flesh, God is not pleased. It is an entirely new way of living. Entirely new building. The spirit of God has come in. The word of God has become alive. And what happens? Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. He has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter. Ah, now we are able to see the spirit of the law. While the, while the old covenant person is taking the ox and the donkey and says, oh, you cannot yoke them together because it is under the law, he's not able to understand what it means because it means you cannot put the believer and the unbeliever together. You understand that is the spirit. How can they be yoked together? Thou shall not be yoked, unequally yoked with an. That's what it meant. But when he reads the Old Testament, his veil is over. He doesn't understand. Thou shall not muscle the mouth out the ox. So the poor Jewish farmer still over there, he will leave his veil. But that's not what it meant. It meant those who are treading the threshing floor of God, working, they should be allowed to eat part of the harvest. That is what it means. So when you read here, you start understanding. You read here, you start understanding because the spirit of the law. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is now showing you this is what it means. As you keep growing, it starts opening up the word of God, opening up the word of God, opening up the word of God, opening up the word. My favorite passage to pastors, I put them on this test everywhere I go. Go to Genesis chapter 
You guys have heard it 342 times. So you are experts. Genesis 13, verse 7 and 8. My online brethren. Now there was strife between herdmen of Abraham's cattle and herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt then in the land. This is just history for the man of the law. This is not history for the man of the spirit. He suddenly realized there is something God is trying to tell us here. What does verse 7 mean spiritually? It means there are only two believers in the land. One is Abraham, righteous by faith. Lot, righteous by faith. When there is trouble between two believers, the unbelievers are watching. That's what it means. This is not history. Canaanites and the Perizzites were in the land. They are watching. And two believers. And Paul will say, why did you go to court? Why did you go to the court? Isn't it better to be a defrauder? Let him take your money and go, don't you? See, this is all comes from there. The pictures are there all in the Bible. Okay, Two righteous people are there. There is an issue with conflict with, with possessions and all over there. And both are righteous, but both are not of the same maturity. So this test will prove who is spiritually mature. And scripture says, Abraham who is the uncle and Lot who is the nephew, the one who was blessed all because of his uncle, he takes the first step and says, we are brethren. That is the story there. This is not a story. It's a spiritual insight about how we in the new covenant should become children of Israel when there is conflict. That is how you read the Bible. But as long as you are under the law, the veil covers. But when you turn to Christ, the veil is removed. That's what the Bible is talking about. So everything changes to the one who is saved. Everything changes because the Spirit of God has come and he starts seeing the kingdom of God. What is it? Hebrews 11 verse 1. Kingdom of God is an unseen realm. Faith is the substance of, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not. Have you seen the kingdom of God? No. Why are you walking by faith? Because you want to be there. What are all your decisions on earth made on? On faith. Why? Because for you the kingdom of God is real. It is not an unreal thing. Faith is the substance of things. What do you hope for? One, to enter into the kingdom of God. Two, finish my race and get a crown. That's the evidence of things unseen. So there is temporary unseen, there is eternal unseen. But the eternal unseen is what is important. So, Faith is a complete paradigm shift in our thinking. Everything changes. Absolutely everything changes. That's why 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18 says, 16 to 18 says, we saw that yesterday also. 4, 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. When? When coronavirus sweeps the world, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, that if you are a true believer who walked by faith and is struggling for your breath in an ICU with a mask over your face, outward man is perishing, but you also know inward man is being renewed. You may be seven days in the ICU and the eighth day dive. In those seven days you heard very, very clearly. Outwardly you are gasping. Inwardly you are not gasping at all. You are hearing very, 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 very clearly. Very clearly, because you were in the kingdom of God, you have grown in the kingdom of God. Outwardly you may be perishing, inwardly you are not perishing. That is Jacob, 130 years, 137 years, old man. Last year, he must have been gasping like the pictures we see. <gasps> He's dying and he sits up in his bed and says, sons, come here. 
I'm gasping out, sir. There is no gasping inside. Come here. Sons of Israel, come here. Stand here, all twelve of you. Let me speak to you one more time. He must have gasped. Reuben. But inside what comes out is no gasping. It's absolutely prophetic over and there is heart and emotions are not involved. It is absolutely spirit. The son he loves is Joseph. The son he loves is Benjamin. He loves all of them, but his heart is yoked with this. But when he comes to Judah, he stops. And he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Everything he speaks is being played out now. Outwardly may be perishing. That's why I keep telling our pastors, I'm growing old. We are all growing old. But that's not the point that is irrelevant. Everybody is growing old. Everybody's outward body is perishing. What is happening inside? Are you hearing? Are you hearing? I'm not saying, are you studying? I'm asking you, are you hearing? Because as you grow inwardly, your clarity of hearing becomes clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. That's why scripture says the old man, John the Apostle, in the island of Patmos, imprisoned, locked down. He was quarantined for years. No believer, nothing. But scripture says, on the Lord's day. My question is, how did you know it was the Lord's day? Which calendar did you check? Inside, there's a witness of the Spirit saying, today is my son's day. Get up, son. He got up and I was in the spirit and I heard the voice of the Lord like a trumpet. And that trumpet sound from there will go from Revelation 2 all the way till Revelation 22. And finally he will see the spirit and the bride says, spirit? Ah, he heard the spirit very clearly. Last words to mankind by from God written in scripture. Are you getting it? This is the issue. Outward man is perishing, but the inward man is and how do you see your outward man's whatever you are going through, our light affliction? How? How can you see 60 years of suffering or 70 years of suffering or 80 years of suffering if your life was suffering? How do you see it? In light of eternity. Far more exceeding and eternal way. So how do you see current life? A moment. See? For a moment. How do you see eternal? Like a, like a vapor. A moment. While we do not look at the things which are seen. We don't judge by what we see. But at the things which are not seen. Because the things that are seen are temporary. But things which are not seen are eternal. So what we are seeing in the coronavirus is very temporary. It will go. In a few weeks it will be over. Everything locked down. Everything Life will go back to normal. But during that lockdown, if you have seen things that are eternal, it should not go from you should walk in that, what you have learned of eternity during this time period. Otherwise, we miss the eternal in the temporal. Even if you miss the temporal, it is okay. Don't miss the eternal. Are we getting the picture? That is what the Bible is talking about. That is what Colossians 3, 1 and 2. We have to keep going back. How? In the midst of all this, why are we bringing people back to the word and not trying to Preach a soft message, don't fear, let us pray. No, we are not going to do anything. We are trying to get your attention back to where it belongs. Not only, we will not preach Corona, we will preach Christ. What is that? You have been raised with Christ. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated on the right hand side of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. That's how we should look at things. Everything changes because the Spirit of God has come in and we are being saved. 
That is the difference. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40 to 42, the new set of people who heard the message, heart was cut. They heard, let us see what happens over Acts chapter 2, verse 40 onwards. Yeah. Quickly. With many other words, this is Peter that day. He testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation, this world. Come out of this world. You really want to get united with Jesus Christ? You need to get out of the world. And then, and those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, how many were added? 3,000. And verse 42. First thing that happened to them after they got baptized and received the spirit, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What do you think the apostles' doctrine was? Acts chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. This is 40 days later. Until the day in which he was taken up, that is who? Jesus Christ. He through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking to them of the things pertaining to the, through the Holy Spirit was teaching till he left about the kingdom of God. This is happening 10 days later. You think the doctrine changed? We are talking only about the kingdom. Now that you are kingdom people, you have been born again, you have seen and entered into the kingdom, come together, let us learn how to be citizens of this kingdom. We shall teach you about life of the kingdom while you are on earth. Kingdom people. That's what they are teaching. And what did the Bible say? They gathered steadfastly daily. Now you have gathered steadfastly here. Online also people have an opportunity to gather steadfastly as long as this continues. What will we teach? About the kingdom of God. How do we live in the kingdom even now in the flesh? We are in this body. We live for the kingdom and for the king. Why? Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And this is the teaching of the kingdom. Jesus also taught and they are also teaching. We don't teach about about the world other than how to overcome the world. That is kingdom teaching. So faith is knowledge based. Faith is not ignorance. Faith is the substance of things. If you need to hope something, you need to know what you are hoping for. Evidence of things. So you need to have some information about what are the things that are unseen. Even if you haven't seen, does anybody doubt there is a country called America? Except for Pastor Vijay, has anybody gone there? You gone there? No. You gone to Australia? No. But do you doubt? No. Why we have information? No. You need to have information about the kingdom. Faith is knowledge based. God's knowledge, God's ways, kingdom, power, grace, grace that saved you, keep you till the end. Your free will is not being taken away. They gathered daily. They gathered themselves. They came on their own. There's free will involved. You have free to come. The others are free to log in and listen. God hasn't taken your free will away. Now what has happened, because the spirit of God has come in, you have seen the kingdom, entered the kingdom, a little bit of the light has come in. You are making your choices now according to the kingdom. Free will has not been taken. Free will is still, we are still free beings. And if we keep on choosing to go to him, go to him, go to Jesus Christ, what is he able to do? Hebrews 7.25. We know, but a lot of people who don't know. 
therefore he is also able to save us to the uttermost from what from the world and the works of the law uttermost and from ourselves those who come to god through him since he always lives to make intercession for them his one husband whose ears is always open to his bride i'll save you we keep on going back to him in word and in prayer constantly going back and he keeps on saving us saving us saving us saving us and he will teach us and he he will teach us through his servants all his servants who are separated unto him so do your homework we have to do our homework philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 Therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own okay so hearing you're working it out with fear and trembling but verse 12 yeah 13 yeah for it is god who works in you when you believe what comes in grace comes in he works in you both to will and to do his good will who's doing the work you Whose is the idea? His. Whose is the power? His. Whose is the action? Mine. The idea is his. That's why we come for the teaching of the word of God. The power is his. You cannot do it on your own. Hebrews 5 and verse 2. Sorry, Romans 5 and verse 2. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. So hearing means somebody else has spoken. It's not my idea. To start this church was never my idea. It was his idea. Through him through whom also we have access by faith into this grace what is grace the power of god that makes something happen we are saved by grace we walk by grace we live by grace but for that first you have to hear and if we continue like this first thessalonians chapter 5 verses 23 and 24 we continue walk fear and trembling standing by faith receiving the grace hearing and continue step by step by step when we fail we Re 523 24 we repent that's also part of grace works you hear you have if somebody if your teacher does it, you write an answer paper and the teacher gives you marks and gives the paper back without ever writing anything on it you don't know where you went wrong and where you went right you got 50 out of 100 so what is the 50 where i am right what is the 50 where i am wrong right so when you fall also it is the holy spirit that convicts you It is the Holy Spirit that brings you to repentance. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you the grace. So it's a con- both sides are there. And if you continue like that, what will happen? May the God of peace Himself. First, you need to have peace. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. So earlier, it was not the God of peace for us. It was always the God of wrath. Now that you are saved and you are a child, is the God of peace? That you know, a father when he spanks you, also it is for his peace and your peace. the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the if he is coming at the end of the lockdown we may get absolutely fooled we may prepare during this lockdown and he doesn't come and two days after the lockdown is over when everything is normal he may come that's what happened in our generation and lord's generation he didn't come when there was problem he came when there was no problem because when there is problem everybody is prepared everybody is praying everybody is repenting everybody is fasting coronavirus has created a mahol in the whole world 
know. But after two weeks, it's over. Two weeks, three weeks, things all become normal. Like stock markets are shooting up. Industry starts opening up. And lots of countries say, no, we are shifting our factories from China. We don't trust them anymore. Into India, we are bringing many, we'll say, opportunities, career, everything. And when we are buying and selling, sowing and planting and building, he comes. And we are caught like that deer in the headlights. Unprepared. This is the problem. This is the problem. That's exactly what is written. This is the time everybody is prepared. But that's not what he said. That is not what he said. So that's why we are using this time, like looking at scripture, I am absolutely sure he won't come now. But I know this is the time given to prepare the people, though they are prepared when you are least expecting. So faith is a life. And he who calls you is faithful. Who also will do it. If you go to him, he is able to save you to the uttermost. Keep on going to him on the day of his coming. Your body, your soul, your spirit. Spirit, soul, body. Because he is spirit. He sees us that way. I am body. So I see my body. Then soul, spirit. Blameless at the day of his coming. So that I have fulfilled the requirement of the law in my life. I am perfect. Blameless. In his sight. That's all enough. It doesn't matter what others say coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. So please remember, faith is a life, not an incident. Wedding is a day. Marriage is a life. Everybody, especially in India, prepares for the wedding. It should be called the big fat, not Greek, but Indian wedding. Everybody prepares and prepares and prepares and prepares and spends through their nose for the wedding. Very few people prepare for the marriage. Baptism is a day. Life with Christ is lived after baptism. There is a marriage, John chapter 14 verse 15 and 16. When we marry people of this is the covenant we make, right? Riches, Pastor Vijay was preaching in the morning. How do you say riches or poverty, good sickness and health until deaths do part? That's the marriage covenant. That's not a baptism covenant. It's if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you. There's no escaping him. This is not a marriage that dissolves in divorce or death. It's forever and ever and ever. This is from where you get they lived happily ever after. So eternal truths, temporarily never. Okay? You need to understand. Baptism is a day. Official. But it is a life, not even a lifetime. It is for ever. That's why after you are saved, especially after you are saved, Jose, Hosea in Telugu. Jose, Chapter 4 and verse 6, God says about his people. Let us internalize it, new covenant, old covenant, but new covenant people. My people, who are we? His people are destroyed for? Just you, you really don't know me. You're not searching to know who I am. Faith is not an incident. It is a life. My people are destroyed by lack of knowledge of what? Or rather knowledge of whom? Second Peter 3.18, Peter's last words to the church. 3.18, soon we will close, in 5 minutes, 6 minutes we will close, 7 minutes we will close. What does he say? But grow in the grace and the knowledge of 
Lord and Savior. What is grace? Grace is the power of God that comes through faith. And what is faith? Faith is the knowledge of God, the unseen. So he says, when you grow in the knowledge of God, you have actually have more access to the grace because grace comes in according to your faith. And faith is the knowledge of God. Faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things. And who is the actual unseen? It is God and his realm. You have knowledge about God and his kingdom. So when your faith increases, that is your knowledge of God increases, you have now more access to grace. It is proportional, directly proportional. You live a life of faith, meaning you live a life sustained by grace. This is the salvation story. You don't go back to the law. You don't go back to the world. You repent and come back. Remember in Luke chapter 17, I will close with a few words. And then, like under seven minutes. I am saying seven because it's showing to 9.53. Luke 17 verses 5 and 6. Remember Jesus and his disciples? 5 and 6. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our and what did he say? If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots, be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. They said, please increase our faith. He says, you know what, actually? If you have, he says, that's all enough, he didn't say. He says, let me tell you about something. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, do you know the power of faith? Do you know the power of faith? Do you, even if you have let us say 1% true knowledge of the true God. Do you know what that knowledge can do for you if you apply it? That's what faith is. Faith is the true knowledge of the true God. God is saying, let me tell you sons, he's telling his disciples, even if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, actual exact true knowledge of who God is, it's only little. You don't know 99.99%, but you know 0.1%. Do you know if you put that into practice, what can happen to you? My people perish because of? I will prove to you from scripture. Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. These are Gentiles who heard a message and they don't know this God at all. All they know about this God is how we destroyed different different nations. And how their own nation has been destroyed, but they hear a message. This is, comes to the king of Nineveh. When the word came to the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes. He caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Who is this? The king of Nineveh. Why? He's a Gentile. But he heard a terrible message from a prophet of Israel. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, cry mightily to God, yes. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. So you know, he really doesn't know this God. Because this God has never told you to keep your animals fasting. So he doesn't really have a knowledge of God. But he has some knowledge of God. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works. That they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. This is a Gentile king. Okay? That's why you have to preach the word even to the Gentiles and not mollycoddle them. If my people were called by their name, you have to say, coronavirus, what is it? It's a judgment from my God. 
And I am not ashamed to say that. Because my God is in control of every event that happens. If the hair that falls from my head, he knows. He knows everything that has happened. Don't tell me he missed the coronavirus. Oh my gosh, I was caught by surprise. Now what can we do? I hope the Chinese or the Americans find a vaccine. I don't know what to do. God is not caught by surprise by anything. Nothing escapes. Everything is allowed and planned by him to bring a people to repentance. And a Nineveh came to repentance. A Gentile nation because a believer preached the word to them. You didn't have full knowledge of God. He had a tiny, that also 100% not sure. Who says, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Because he has no clue because their gods are not like that. Who knows? Let us repent. Hmm? What is, uh, what is uh, Jonah's message? 40 days and? No more. That's it. And he went on a fast. Turned from their wicked ways. Gave an order. Everybody. Sackcloth. Fasting. And God relented. You think the prophet was happy? He was mad. This is an angry prophet. John of chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Reaction. You see, the Gentiles only assumed. John knew. John knew. John prayed to the Lord. No, no, no. 4, 4, 4, 4. 4, 1 and 2. Their assumption was right. They did not have the true knowledge of God. Their assumption was like a, like, through it, it hit the target. But this guy knew. It displayed Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. It is like me leading worship. Suddenly the keys came and I sang my voice and I said, Pastor, why didn't you lead worship all this? Yes, I said, it was a fluke. It is a, see, that is what happened. The king and Nineveh and the people repented. It was a fluke. They really did not know. But this guy, no. Look at him. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, wasn't that what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previous love. He's justifying his rebellion. Okay? For I know what are you? You are a gracious and a merciful God. Slow to anger. Abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing. So you knew him, right? Jonah? You knew. Now I'll give you five verses. All from Matthew. Matthew 9, 27. Matthew 15, 22. Matthew 17, 15. And Matthew 20, 30. Let us read the first one. And Jesus departed from there. Two blind men followed him crying out saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. 15, 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out from that region, cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O son of David. Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon possessed. 17.15 and then 20.30 Lord have mercy on my son for he is an epileptic and suffers severely for he often falls into the fire and often into the water and then 20.30 Behold two blind men sitting by the road when they heard Jesus was passing by cried out saying have mercy on us O Lord son of David What is the common one common word in all of it? They had only knowledge about the mercy of God and that was enough. God stopped. Your knowledge about me concerning mercy is absolutely right. I am a merciful God. You have appealed to my mercy. I will stop and I will show my hand to you. You getting the picture? That's all they knew. That's all they needed. That's why he's saying, even if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, your faith is based on a true knowledge of, how did we all get saved? Because we were told, appeal to the mercy of God. 
Everyone who is saved is saved only because of the mercy of God. That's why we preach the gospel. What is something true about our God? Our God does not need appeasement. He doesn't need bribes. He doesn't need offerings. Appeal to his mercy. That is what he really is. A merciful God. A gracious God who hates judgment. It doesn't matter what you are. You could be Manasseh who filled the streets of Jerusalem in with blood. You have put hooks in your nose and taken by the Babylonian king and then when you appeal to God's mercy he restored you and you don't understand this God. When you were taken to the bottom of the sea in the belly of the fish when you cried out to God he took you out. You have been crucified and one all of them are screaming and this guy is also screaming and in the midst of your pain you looked at him and he cried out in mercy Lord when you come to your kingdom remember me God said right away. You shall be with me. You know why? This is the great knowledge of God. He is merciful. And that is his greatest characteristic that is shown to man. That is why he says one thing. Please don't understand. In my dealings with fallen human beings, I am incredibly merciful. Therefore be merciful and you shall obtain mercy. He did not say be holy and you shall obtain holiness. He did not say be perfect and you shall obtain perfection. He says when it comes to mercy, be very careful. Every breath you take is a result of my mercy. And that's true knowledge of God. All they did was appeal to his mercy. They did not know the law. They did not know the Torah. They did not know everything. But they knew one thing, the God of Israel is merciful. The God of Israel is merciful. The God of Israel is merciful. Faith comes from hearing. The Holy Spirit inside that's the word outside. Both came together and he stopped. And they got healed. Mercy, 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 mercy. You need to understand that. That is our God. As I close, balance it always. There is righteousness, but there is mercy. If there is no righteousness, you don't need mercy. That's why Abraham is very clear. Lord, if there are 40 righteous men, will you show mercy? He says, yeah. He's not saying, Lord, they're all unmerciful, terrible people, but anyway, show mercy, Lord. He didn't say that. Righteousness and mercy. But again, in the balance, be careful. James chapter 2 and verse 13. Scripture says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But if judgment is not preached, you don't need mercy. That's why first we preach. Repent for the kingdom of God is. You know what that is? It is judgment. The kingdom of God is near. That is judgment. Repent is appeal for mercy. Fall at God's feet. Kiss the son. You are free. You don't have to do one thing. You don't have to do one thing. You don't have to do one thing. Just repent, believe, get in. And then he will tell you what to do. He will tell you what to do. This is the gospel. True knowledge of God. That is what he's telling his disciples. And that's what he's telling through the prophet Hosea. My people perish because of lack of. So first we need to know about the judgment of God and the mercy of God. And God will say, you know this both and you appeal to my mercy. Mercy will always triumph over judgment. That's my nature. Mercy will always triumph over. Manasseh has been judged because he 
messed testimony of Israel. But he appealed to God's mercy. Ahab walked around, repented, and God said, did you look at Ahab? He says, okay, forgive him. So later when he killed the other guy, Naboth, that's when God said, okay, he didn't, he obtained mercy, but he did not extend mercy. So I'll finish him off now. This is something unbelievable to the man under the law. Under the law. The man under here in the world, he wants mercy without judgment. Please don't judge my things. I only want mercy, but leave me in my pig pen. Please. I like my sin. I love my sin. I enjoy my sin. But when I die, I want to go to heaven. They appeal to a God who is only merciful and not righteous. The legalistic is only righteous and not merciful. And God says, you got it. I'm right in the middle. I'm righteous and I'm merciful. And I'm able to balance it both. I'm both the just and the justifier. How do you know I am righteous? Because I judge sin on my son. And how do you am merciful? I justify every one of you who believed in my son. I didn't compromise anywhere. Compromise anywhere. This is the sum total of the gospel and it never changes. It never ever changes. To all my brethren who have been listening, this is the gospel. This is the gospel of grace. Don't let them take you on to this side, you come under the curse. Don't go into that side, you come under another curse. You are dead while living. If you are living for pleasure, you are cursed if you go under the law. It is a life. It is not an incident. Incidents are there in the Bible to tell you the reality of faith. Eight incidents in the gospel according to John. But that is not what faith should be in our life. Oh, I remember when God this did things. It's not, are you not living by faith? So for many Christians, faith are only incidents. It is not a life. That's not what God said who had saved with the Holy Spirit living in. It's like trying with the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called Ruah or breath. Imagine somebody says, yeah, three times a day I breathe. Hmm? People will say, are you alive? Right? You breathe all the time. You're totally, you're not even aware of it. Breathing in, breathing out. He says, that's the life of the Spirit. You don't even have, do you hear and you obey? And what if he hasn't spoken to you, you go by what you have heard. But he has already spoken. He has already spoken. A lot of things he has already spoken. You don't have to hear it again. Go by it. But if he tells you something else, immediately do it. And suddenly you realize you are living by it. And you are not going by the letter of the law. It kills. It kills. And that's why the Pharisee is always killed. Religious zealots always kill. No. The spirit brings life. It brings life. The life of the spirit. Simple message, but not so simple. You go under the water, you died. When you come up, you are a new person. But you realize you are not so new. You are still, the old man is there. So in the same Romans 6, Paul will say every day, what should you reckon? Reckon yourself dead. Reckon unto yourself dead. Reckon yours. I'm died. I died in my. I died in my baptism every day, and I'm living by faith. I died every day, every day. That's what happens to uh, Shikant, right now before he got married. When he got married, he realized, oh, I have to go like. And then he realized, oh, I can't go like before. Surprise! So there. 
I need to go to work. Oh, I'll come back late. No, Swapna is there. Work is the same. Reality is not. Work hasn't changed. We still do the same works we did in the old, but the reality inside has changed. We realize we have covenanted with somebody. The reality has changed. You still finish work at six o'clock. Now you don't come back to the the back. You are racing back home because you know you what. Something has changed. Outwardly, nothing seems to have changed. Inward reality has changed. You know you have been covenanted to Christ Jesus. So you go into the world. Yes, you have to go into the world, but you're not looking to the left or right. You don't want. You're going shopping. Yes, you already made your list. You made your list. Okay, like me, it should be. If you go to a shopping mall, not a shopping. Uh, if I go to a shopping, what do you call it? Shop supermarket. supermarket. You, I go to the same one. I don't go to two different ones. And by the time I've gone three or four places, I know where everything is. So the fourth time I go, I have my list. It takes me five minutes to shop because I know the soap is here. I know this is here. I know this is here. Picked it and got out. Because if you look around, you'll want to buy things which you don't need. Discount. Take one, get two. All these things are in your eyes. I'm talking about a supermarket. I'm not even talking about shopping mall. I haven't seen Ikea yet. Or what is the big one here? Metro. I haven't seen Metro yet. I don't know Metro. I don't know Ikea. I've heard about it. It doesn't bother me at all. I have no loss at all. Okay, I'm seeing simple examples I'm talking about. We go to further and further and further and further and further and we become worshippers of other gods. When you look at young people and they say they are believers, they say they are baptized in the Holy Spirit and they see you see them standing like during worship, yet you see their Facebook or WhatsApp profile, they have shot themselves with the IPL, bowing to Kohli, bowing to Kohli. They already branded themselves, Chennai this thing, I am Donis, I thought you were Christ. I thought you belonged to Christ. I thought you worshipped Christ. You don't even realize you are Bow to the gods of this world. You flipped over to that side. Flipped over to that other side. Or this guides. You hear something you don't even know. Immediately you have expressed judgment without mercy. God says, if you do judgment without mercy, you will receive judgment without mercy. He says, because one, to make judgment. Do you have all the facts? No. Two, have you been put in a position of authority? Because you cannot judge without authority. That's why there is a book of judges. Everybody did not judge. Only the judges judged. To judge you need authority. I don't judge Baptist church. That's not of my business. Or Methodist church. I have been no given no authority over there. I have been given authority over a church that is placed into my hands. And also there are parameters where I judge into the ecclesiastic spiritual affairs of the church. I don't judge outside that. So there is no judgment without authority. That's why God was saying, if you judge without mercy, you will receive judgment without mercy. First, first question is, should I judge or not? Is Am I in the place of judgment? If it is no, stay away. Two, maybe I am, but do I have all the information? Information. These are questions we need to ask. These are questions we need to ask. This is how it works. And this is what how our life changes. When the Holy Spirit comes. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, He will, first He will convict of my sin. Forget the world. The world in me, my sin. And then He will show righteousness. And then He will show judgment. And then He will show eternal life. That's what He does. And you realize this is the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this evening, we just thank you for this time. And we thank you for this study, Lord. I pray your children will get it into their hearts how the gospel works, 
This is the gospel of God. Where the power of God is manifested in salvation. And we will walk by faith. And we will hear, keep our ears inclined towards you. Our hearts cleaned out every day so that we can hear clearly what the Holy Spirit says. And what we have already heard, you will always bring us into our remembrance. We will store it in our hearts, our minds. So we don't have to hear that again and again and again, O oh Lord. But our eyes and our hearts will be inclined towards heaven, O oh Lord. So we read these signs correctly. And we respond to these signs correctly. It's only one of the signs. There are many yet to come, Lord. And help us to read and react currently. Because we are people of the kingdom. We are not going back and flirting with the law or flirting with the world. For the spirit within us envies intensely because the spirit is the spirit of Jesus Christ. It was the Holy Spirit that birthed Jesus through Mary. So he is the father. And as a father, he is very zealous about his son's bride. And help us to know that, O oh Lord, and put blinkers on our spiritual eyes. Like he told Joshua, not turning to the left or to the right, but skipping to the narrow path. And when we stumble and fall and the spirit convicts, run back, O oh Lord. Because the one he or she who lives for pleasure is dead when they are living. Or when he or she goes back to the works of the law, he comes under a curse. My just shall live by faith. For there is a righteousness of God that is revealed by faith unto faith. That's the only way, Lord. There's no other way. So I commit all your dear ones into thy hands and I plead the blood of Jesus over them and I pray they will continue to walk that narrow path, continue to hear from you, continue to forgive, continue to extend mercy and yet judge themselves, O Lord. Because your word says, if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged with the world. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. The rest of the night we commit into thy hands. Watch over us, protect us, preserve us, keep us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. For all new believers, this is what is called teaching. This is not preaching. This is teaching. You heard preaching, you hear. In preaching, a lot of emotions come in. In preaching, it is like Derek Prince. Okay? The Bible talks about both preaching and teaching. You had a teaching session. 